The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. always something to debate or argue in the dog world but there's just one thing that's not up for debate all hunters and dog owners know you need the right gear not just for yourself but for your dogs as well conkey's outdoors hound and hunting supply is your number one source for all things hound related conkey's is owned and operated by true houndsmen themselves they've got you covered no matter the game you're chasing from hog hunting bear hunting and even gator hunting bird dog guys don't feel left out either They have whatever you need, whether it's training collars, tracking collars, boots, chaps, vests, coats, and more. No matter what you and your dog needs to have a successful hunt, check out conkeysoutdoors.com and they'll get you on the right track. Purchases over $100 gets you free shipping and enter GDIY5 to save 5%. And if you're a Patreon patron, you get to save even more money. So be sure to check out Conkeys Outdoors. And welcome back to another week of GDIY, everybody. We actually have a special guest for you on this week's intro. Scott Caldwell came down to join us. Scott, how you doing? Uh, old and tired. A little bit older and a little bit uh, tireder today. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask, we're doing an episode intro. Do you even have any idea what this episode's about that I we're have, introing? I have no clue, gentlemen. <laughs> I'm just here to spend the night with you guys, have some free lodging, and uh, drink a few brown spirits. There you go. Well, That's Adam, always good. Go ahead and clue Scott and everybody else into what we're talking so about. So this, this week, week we're talking with uh, Pete Aplikowski, and uh, we talk about steadiness. Um Steady to flush. Steady to flush. We don't go through the whole steadiness process, uh, but we get into um, introducing dogs uh, to pointing, really, and then spend a lot of time talking about steady to flush. And, uh, man, I really enjoyed it. Like, it gave me some perspectives on things that I thought, okay, I've trained a dog to be steady now. I've got it all figured out. Not the case, man. I'm I'm actually excited to, to give it another go with my next dog. 
Yeah, and I think it's a, it's pretty good timing for this episode as well with uh, hunting season coming up right now and really to, to enjoy a good hunt dog really all you need is steadiness to flush and uh you know if you're staying out of the woods because your dog's technically not steady to shot or steady to release or whatever don't worry about it take your dog hunting and have a good time yeah just get out there and hunt with them definitely for the first season or two or however long it takes you know don't yep. be in a rush enjoy it this yep. is what everyone was telling me about a year ago <laughs> dude don't worry about it just hunt with your dog and have fun yeah so. so it's a really informative uh, episode, but uh, we have some more information coming at you this week as well. We actually have a new sponsor to announce. Adam, what do we have now? Ugly Dog Ugly Spirits. Dog whiskey. That's right. So Ugly Dog Distillery, they're out of Wisconsin and, or Michigan, and uh, they actually started. There's a German wire hair pointer on the label. And we're pouring Scott Caldwell a glass of the peanut butter whiskey right now for him to try on air and let us know what he thinks about it. He's been watching. I was going to say. He's been guys, watching what, Nick and me drink it for an hour. <laughs> like, nope, what you guys nope, don't know yet. is they've been holding back on this and said, literally, <laughs> I can't taste it until the intro. So. <laughs> He's been drinking some other junk. All right, Scott. Go ahead. Give it All a right. shot. Give it a sip. Don't give it a shot. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, so I like that a lot. specifically the peanut butter whiskey, the first time I heard of it, I actually, the first time I had peanut butter whiskey, I think was with you, Scott. Yeah. And, and, and this is what I like about this is mm-hmm. not nearly as sweet as that. Oh, that's man. Cool. I'm glad you said that because yep. it's actually made with real bourbon and not just sweeteners and right. all that other junk that they put in there. If anybody knows me or has been to my boathouse knows that I, I do partake in a lot of bourbon-esque yep. bourbons. <laughs> and um, screwball's been kind of like the, uh, I'll say the staple um, for the peanut butter world in our in our boathouse. But yep. uh, I can see this finding a, a very large slot on the shelf. I'm glad you said that it's not as sweet as other peanut butter whiskeys because that was our that's first what impression. we all, we did the same thing. We, we actually blind tasted another peanut butter whiskey against Ugly Dog. And between me, Nick, Joe... Jackie or all the wives everyone said the same thing uh not knowing what it is again blind taste they're like that one's better it's not as sweet first off all you got to tell me do you have another bottle I can take home (laughs) because you realize between the ladies at my place Stacy and Kylie everybody else who are like screwball fanatics that if I'm putting this out on the intro and I hear it and I don't come home with a bottle. <laughs> They're going to be mad. I might have to go sleep in a lodge. Nick, so, <laughs> Nick will drive to Nashville tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. No, we, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm not a flavored whiskey guy. So the first time somebody said peanut butter whiskey to me, I was like, oh, gross. But uh, I tried it. And man, it's it, it's some good stuff. And Ugly Dog Distillery, they have everything that you need, all kinds of different makes. But uh, the, the peanut butter whiskey is what we're sipping on tonight. And they're going to be around for a while. So check them out. They do really, I mean, it was inspired by a German wire hair pointer. These are dog people. The guy, you know, that that we deal with personally, he he has two pointing dogs. I think he it was a Brittany and a Setter. Uh, so they are dog people. It's made by dog people. They're from the grouse country up in the North Woods. Uh, they make some good stuff. So be sure to check them out. And if you have a dog event coming up, a test trial, anything like that, and you want to try, you know, it's alcohol friendly, and you want to try it. Hit us up. We'll get you in contact. We'll see if we can get you some Ugly Dog because it does depend on which state you're in. You need to check out their website, see if it's available in your state. 
And uh, yeah, just uh, drink responsibly. How quick can you get it to North Carolina? <laughs> we, got a, we have a test next weekend. Yeah, I th- yeah you, you know a few guys. We'll 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 hook you up. We'll get right. you some. Figure uh, something. That's out. all I'm saying. But uh, it'll but, be after the quote unquote sanctioned NAVDA event, and the and the <laughs> test is over with. But I, I know of a few judges that would probably enjoy partaking. Dude, I don't know of anyone that doesn't like this stuff. Uh, yeah. My mom does not like whiskey. She likes ugly dog peanut butter whiskey, yep, so yep. everyone loves it. Well, so back on topic because we can sit here and talk about whiskey and spirits all night long, but people didn't come here to talk, you know, listen and hear about spirits. They came here for one reason and one reason only. That is to get their life straight by advice life from Adam. Life advice from Adam. And I had <laughs> Scott, when I figured out he was going to be on the intro, queue up a life advice with Adam. Well, so, that's why Scott's here. Yes, <laughs> yeah. he came all the way from North Carolina because he has a very important question. He needs oh, your advice. I thought on. he came from North Carolina to record next week's episode, but oh, uh, maybe. All right, Scott. Side quest. <laughs> all right, so here's a Go good one. Go for it, man. Here's a good one, and, and this, this affects probably I'd say probably half of the dog training community slash what we do with NABDA. Okay. How do you? Utilize your significant other <laughs> slash wife slash girlfriend as a training partner, your daily program and what you do with your dogs. Or if you have a kennel and you have multiple dogs, and your wife says, this is my dog, but I want to train it. Mm. So I'm getting ready to face the second half of that question soon because uh not just jackie but the kids too they're like i want the next dog needs to be mine you know i want to run the dog in natural ability and i guess we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it but uh jackie actually does a lot she's done with both of our dogs a lot of the initial training stuff especially you know when they're puppies um a lot of the basic obedience she does the teaching and I do the enforcing type thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that's how our team Did works. That mirror with the kids? Um <laughs> no, not at all. They don't they don't you teach or always enforce. bring it back to the family, <laughs> don't just, you, Nick? Yeah, they just do uh they just do the praise pretty much with the dog. But um yeah, Jackie's awesome at working with puppies and, and teaching them, you know, to wait at the food bowl and door manners and leash manners not like formal healing but just working with them as a puppy things like that uh exposing them to everything you can possibly think of she did a lot of that stuff and then you know i come in and i'm like all right serious stuff now (laughs) so yeah i I think that's the biggest challenge even i have um not to interdict too much but like um you know my kylie my wife is very much involved in the training of all of our dogs. Yep. And you know, we do it very separately because we found out me as a trainer trying to work with my wife and not train not treat her like a client. Mhm. That that is a, that's a huge I think hurdle and, and not to treat her like somebody we meet at training day or something along those lines. It's like, "No, dude, you need to do this with your dog." can't necessarily yeah, look work at your so well. spouse or whoever <laughs> and say, hey, look, no, you just need to do this. And then instantly you get that look. It's like, why are you talking to me like this? Yeah, and the difference is when you're helping somebody out at a training day or helping a client and you say, 
very matter of fact, here's what you need to do. You know, there can be a little bit of discussion about it, but generally people are like, okay, thanks for the advice. You do that with your wife and it's like, why? I did that, you know? <laughs> you just did that five minutes ago and you did it wrong too, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. And we never should forget the fact that we actually have to uh, share a house and a bed yep. and everything else with this person at the end of the day. So Good question, man. Way to bring these you know, life advice questions back to dogs. Uh, I get all these questions every week and I, every week I forget about this life advice thing and Nick brings it up and I'm like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. And it's something about, you know, family related. And I love talking about family, but yep. it's gun dog it yourself, you know, yep. not raise a family yourself. So exactly. get us some more gun dog questions. I like that this one. Ridiculous. Put Adam on the spot segment. Uh, we knew that we'd get some family questions, but that's, that's really all it's about. It's just family <laughs> corner with Adam. But, uh, well, yeah. Cause you named it life advice with Adam, not how to train a dog with Adam. You wouldn't let me, you wouldn't let me go with your suggested stump the chump. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. It'd be really boring because we'd have them stumped every week. <laughs> so. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. All right, guys. I think, uh, you guys are ready to hear Pete. Um, yep. This is a great episode. This is one that you're going to listen to twice probably um, and potentially take some notes on. I know I'm I'm taking notes while we're recording. So be sure to share it with a friend. Follow us Instagram, Facebook, Gundog It Yourself. You want to throw a couple bucks our way, maybe get a little ugly dog whiskey. Uh, yeah, check out our uh, Patreon, Gundog It Yourself under Patreon. <laughs> there we go. Here it is, guys picture this you just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion you've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall you think the day's over it's not though your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt no hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from ugly dog distillery they're michigan raised and purebred handcrafted spirits they have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after hunt choice kentucky bourbon Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions, also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you could need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So, if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast.
All right, everybody, we're joined again with Pete Aplikowski from the Minnesota chapter. Pete, welcome back to the show, and thanks for making time for us again. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, guys. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, me and you, me and you kind of stayed in contact since the last time we had you on a while back, and uh, we were talking a couple weeks ago, and and you brought up a kind of a seemingly important issue this time of year. It's kind of pops up every time of year with uh, with a lot of people training, especially their first first dog and uh just the importance of getting your dog steady to flush so that you can hunt the dog and obviously with this with the time of year that it is now that's a it's a pretty good topic to touch on right now yeah not only that um if you're gonna if you're if you're gonna do the nav to more advanced training you know utility prep or even utility that um getting a dog steady to wing shot and fall obviously is part of all that but it all starts with steady to flush and um if you can be careful or, or I got a cautious, I guess is a better word with with how you train steady to flush, it makes the steady to wing shot and fall a lot better, uh, easier and better on the dog as when it comes to the pointing intensity and and keeping the dog happy around birds and stuff like that is kind of what I've discovered. So yeah, I was gonna say they if you do it right, um, they maintain. A lot more intensity you put out a couple good videos uh that were that were showing you know where the pointing ends and steadiness begins and and you made it very clear in those videos that that the dog loses intensity once it transitions from pointing to steadiness so uh can you go into some of those details on how like how you specifically do that to maintain some intensity throughout the steadiness process too yeah well the first thing is and uh it's one of the things i'm trying to change in our chapter i mean we're obviously a big chapter. We do a lot of training. We, uh, we've had a, a pretty impressive program as far as securing and providing birds to our members. And um, to me, to be honest with you, I think we do too good a job of it. I think we make it too easy for people to throw a lot of these uh, pen-raised birds at their dogs. And uh, a lot of people get, get ahead of themselves and get too much of in a hurry. And some people have more money than they have time. And then they just start pouring it on. And it doesn't always work out so good. So... Just kind of something I've noticed in the last few years, and trying to change that a little bit by doing some clinics and those videos and stuff that I mentioned to give some people just a just a step back and and really think about what you're trying to accomplish here. And and sometimes less can be more, um, especially when it comes to that pointing intensity stuff. Um, these this whole thing that we do with pen raised birds out in the planted bird field, it, it's there's nothing natural about it. I mean, it's a completely fake situation for a a bird dog with a with the kind of nose that they have and uh boy especially you get to the end of a test or the end of a training night and think about how dirty that field is out there with uh, all the dog scent and all the old bird scent and all the human man track scent and everything out there and boy you, sometimes you got to really wonder what the dog is even thinking we're trying to get them to do out there so yep, yep. <laughs> so less can be more i guess is the theory of it and the more you can get your dog on wild birds obviously um, and and be careful and cautious about shooting birds around your dog to make sure that there's at least some some basic understanding and cooperation and teamwork on the dog's part before you start rewarding it with uh, shooting birds for it. I think it could go a long way. Um, and and I'm not trying to sound like a know-it-all. I, I, these are mistakes that I made with my first dog, and and he'll never be cured of it. Uh, you know that combined with just the dog that he is, and his his cooperation level is not great to begin with. He's kind of a self hunter, but <laughs> I when, the, when I did that when he was young, it really further cemented in his brain that 
hey, this is the way the game is played, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, and that, that, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it's very hard to kind of get across to some people, especially on their first dog, that, that sometimes not putting them on a whole ton of birds is the best idea. But, but I think the two main words that you said, said out of all that was cooperation and teamwork. Cause at the end of the day, that's really what we're after. And we're asking the dog to do is to hunt and find something and cooperate with us. And it's a teamwork that helps back the bag or back the bird. Yep. And a lot of people, I, I have some of these conversations with people too. I don't know if I should join NAVDA. I just want a hunting dog. And, but I heard I should join NAVDA. You know, well, I think the re- everybody knows that NAVDA chapters are really an easy source for you to connect with people that are like-minded, have access to birds, have access to grounds. And, and even though maybe people aren't interested in the testing, um, if you really look at the NAVDA testing system, especially the utility test and how it's geared, it's designed for hunting dogs. It, you know, so we're not asking them to run across balance beams and jump through hoops and <laughs> catch frisbees and stuff just for just for fun. I mean, everything that's revolving around evaluating dog in these testing systems is has real world hunting situation applications and that's what i like about navda yeah it, it um, definitely pete uh i've talked to nick a few times you know almost every day on the way home from work nick and i are discussing <laughs> something about the dogs on the phone and uh we talk a lot about the the utility or applicability of navda and in, in hunting and where it's faults are and flaws um and like one of them for me was duck search you know i i understand the utility of it but how often am i going to go up to a pond and tell my dog to go out and fetch but i've learned later that it's not really about using that specific scenario in a hunting situation it's more about the independence and cooperation which is ironic all in one task what do you think about that well, I mean, that's we're getting a little off topic already yeah. here, and I yeah. start talking about duck search. But um, I'll just I'll just say this: um, I I believe in that task and improving a dog. That it, uh, especially when you're talking about a dog to be a prize one dog or a breedable dog, you know, a dog that can demonstrate that level of independence to go solve that task to recover a bird it did not see fall using its brain and its nose out on a marsh. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, not, not everyone, not all of them can do it to the prize one standards, you know? Um, now that doesn't mean a dog that can't do it isn't an awesome hunting dog. I mean, I've I've got a high prize two utility dog because he just can't, he's just not duck crazy and I can't get a four duck search out of him on test day, you know? Um, but if, if, if it's opening, well, I can tell you right now, when I go down to Iowa, as soon as the corn comes out, he's the first dog I'm putting on the ground for pheasants. Yeah. You know, so you got to balance that out. The one thing I do want to say, though, because we, we had this discussion in our chapter this year, too, we've got kind of a, uh, and it kind of goes down to how you hunt, and maybe if you came from the retriever world, I do not believe in teaching your dog to handle with hand signals for retrieving if you're a, if you're a versatile dog. Uh, not not at least until after the utility test when you might start working toward the invitational on that blind retrieve. Um, um, and I think there's a reason that the blind retrieve isn't come on in NAVDA until the invitational. I think the the people that are a lot smarter than me that set up this testing system realize that, that maybe maybe a dog that gets too reliant on the handler uh, to go out and find that game is not not going to be able to, you know, get, or get confused as far as what the task is on that duck search. So that makes I'm trying sense. to ingrain in people. You know, I'm trying to 
trying to get people to understand that you may hunt that way. You know, if, if you've got a duck down on the marsh and, and your dog's out there and you want to whistle at it and give it some hand, in, in the real world, that might be the way you hunt and that might, that might work best for you and your dog. Mm-hmm. But if you want to nab the utility test, I think that's a no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I, I know we're getting off topic, but you know, it's, I just can't stand it. It's too much fun. Um, so it, it's all right. We'll, we'll make this the topic. Um, so Nick and I have talked a bunch about that too, that, you know, we wish the, uh, the blind retrieve was at the utility level and, and maybe put the duck search at the invitational level. But it makes a lot of sense what you just said, that you'd have a hard time getting that freedom and independence out of the dog later if you put such a tight steering wheel on them first. Yeah, the other thing I see a lot is people that spend a lot of times throwing bumpers for their dogs, especially at the water. Mm-hmm. Um, that dog just does, he, he's, he'll go out and search about whatever, if, if the farthest you can throw a dock and dummy is 40 yards, uh, that kind of turns into that dog's boundary on the water. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I had a guy down at my property the other day, and I told Adam after he left, I was like, this dog is a completely different duck search dog compared to what he was last year. And his issue last year was the guy would just go to the edge of the water and throw a bumper into the water for an hour just to exercise the dog. And the dog would not go past the point to where he always threw the bumper. And I told him, hey, if you want a duck search, you have got to stop doing that. And he did. Yeah. And the dog, I mean... What I saw Saturday in a quick duck search he did, uh, the dog would not have even done half of that just a few months ago. It, it makes so much sense when you break it down like that. Yeah. I mean, it, you've literally just conditioned the dog that you're always going to find something 40 yards away. Uh, when you break it down like that, it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, no kidding. But, <laughs> but yeah, so we're, we're not talking about independent duck search right now. Let's circle back to the, uh, the study to flush scenario and get back to the cooperation yeah. and teamwork and where you're headed as far as how yeah, it's okay. kind of broken so out we, in the we, test. We started talking about, you know, NAVDA and <laughs> uh, I guess the other thing we should mention in here too is I am the, you know, the president of the Minnesota chapter. We're a large chapter, probably the largest in NAVDA. I am a NAVDA judge, um, but I'm obligated to say that I'm not speaking on behalf of NAVDA. These are my own personal uh, opinions and thoughts and uh, you guys know how this goes. There's everything I say today. I guarantee you, there's another NAVDA judge or professional trainer out there that so this guy has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> I think yeah. I think uh, we're going to record that as a disclaimer for all the NAVDA judges that come on here. Just we are not speaking on behalf of NAVDA. <laughs> just play yeah. it at the start of all this. But yeah, you're right. It's uh, you do have uh, a unique it, perspective on all this. And this is based on my own dogs and all the dogs I've seen, obviously, in our chapter. Um, we, we made some tremendous strides at our chapter training this year on the utility level. Um, uh, we had a lot of prize ones come out of our chapter this year to the point where I'm, I'm already getting calls about invitational training for next year. And I'm like, hold on now. It's, it's, it's not even 2021 yet. Give me a break. So, Let me go um, hunting. So I think I know a little bit about what I'm talking about anyway. So, um, all right, so back to steady to flush. Um, and here's why, kind of why I started talking about the NABDA system and why I think it does prove a good hunting dog is, to me, and I kind of learned this in, when you, when you, as an apprentice and then the more and more I see it as a judge, the key to steady to flush training is outlined right on the utility scorecard. Um, under the, you know, the columns at the top, nose, desire, stamina, cooperation, obedience, and then you go down to steady to flush. Steady to flush you're judging the dog's cooperation and obedience both equally. Personally, I wish that that 
and, and their secondary scores. They've got the lines horizontally through them. You guys, if you know, if you're familiar with that, yeah. I personally wish that that cooperation box in there was a primary, and and you know, judging we have to abide by the NAB to standards. But from a training standpoint, I consider that cooperation part of steady to flush to be primary, and and the more I can get the dog to understand or uh, be cooperative in that phase and not have to teach him to be steady to flush, that's where you start really gaining the advantage of not putting all that pressure on the dog or on birds. Um, now, after steady to flush, if you look at that scorecard, steady to wing shot and fall is pure obedience. There's nothing natural or, or you know, if you think about what cooperation is, it's what the dog is born with or what the dog can kind of figure out on his own and, and self-teach himself. To me, that's that kind of embodies cooperation. What you teach a dog is obedience, and that's not natural to the dog. There's nothing natural to a dog about being steady to wing shot and fall. That's not inherent in their in in you know their genetics, as far right. as I'm concerned. That's all something you have to teach them. But that steady to flush thing, that cooperation, that teamwork thing, letting you walk in and be walk in front of that dog and flush that bird, that takes them a tremendous amount of cooperation on the part of the dog. Um, at least if you want it to be, you know, a good, pure, organic kind of situation where you're not hammering on that dog with, you know, check cords and e-collars and lots of verbal woe training and stuff just to get it to the point where you can get in front of it. So oh. then the question is, how do you get there, you know? That's exactly what uh, I was about to ask. So let's, let's break down <laughs> how we create that cooperative uh, mindset with the dog. All right, so I kind of broke it down in the little outline I made for our talk. There's, there's four ways to get there. Three are good. One is bad, and it's the way that most people do it. So we'll get we'll talk about that one last. Um, the the first way is if if you're lucky, the dog is born steady to flush. They're so naturally cooperative and such a natural team player that they go on point and they let you walk in front of them. And it, you know, and some people think that might be a unicorn, but they're not. They're out there. I, I've been I've been lucky enough to have a couple of those. That uh, makes it a lot easier. I will say those are the dogs, though, that uh, can be a little bit tougher to do that independent duck search stuff that we were talking about. It might take a little bit more work to build that part up on them because they, they're, yeah. they don't they, they don't want to get away from the handler so much. You know. Yep. Um, the second way is you know you get a somewhat cooperative dog and he learns on his own that if he lets the handler be part of the deal, that he's going to get a bird in his mouth and a retrieve. Um, and how, so how does, how does a dog learn on his own to be cooperative enough to be steady to flush? Well, lots of wild bird contacts. That's, that's the old school way. Just get out, get out there and hunt that dog on wild birds. And, again, don't and be careful not to shoot ones that he's not at least letting you be, you know, within shotgun range and on the neighborhood or, or at least acknowledging your presence. Yeah. I mean, that's the way everybody used to do it, right, before all this testing and trialing and stuff came along, I think. Yeah, um, real simple. The old adage that, you know, the best dog trainers are wild birds. Yeah. And, and that's why. Uh, so if, if you don't have access to a lot of wild birds, how do you do it? And, and this is kind of the, 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 the pen-raised bird way. And I think over time, at least the more successful people I've run into and have figured out, pigeons and launchers, pigeons and launchers, pigeons and launchers, mm-hmm. because that's the best way to simulate wild birds not chuckers, not quail, because you put them in launchers and pop them, and how far do they fly? <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you you have a uh, low batting average with chuckers, but if you get some decent flyers, you you can probably get 50-50, maybe, maybe 75% of chuckers that'll fly off, but you, you really need some healthy chuckers for that. Right, right. So pigeons are the way to go there, because they were very rarely, they, most are going to go land in a tree, 
on the edge of the field, but they're not going to sit back down on the field. Um, which is the whole point is to you want that bird to fly away out of sight, out of out of range of the dog for it to be able to chase it down. Um, now, it, the whole pigeon and launcher thing can get expensive. Uh, it's easier if you have access to some homers, obviously. Um, it's also not not for first timers. I don't think it takes. You really have to know how to read a dog and understand when a dog's going on point and transitioning from pointing into steadiness, which is probably another thing we should touch on. Um, and it takes kind of a trained eye to know when to launch that thing. Right. Um, and and that's why if you can be part of an AVDA chapter or have access to a pro trainer or something like that or somebody with homers, you can really shorten up that whole process of getting that dog to learn, again, teach himself that, hey, if I'm cooperative and a team player here, good things are going to happen. Yeah. So, Go ahead, Nick. I, I was just going to say there's a few things in there that I think are worth elaborating on, and we've said it a number of times over some episodes is, to, to sum all that up, wild bird contacts is the best. And then if you're getting into some planted birds, you need to remember why we're planting birds. And the, and the goal is to simulate as close to a wild bird as we possibly can. And so the goal is not to knock out the bird, put it completely to sleep, let it get dew all over its feathers so it can't fly, and, and just to ensure that you have an opportunity on that bird. You really need... You need consistent birds that you can count on to fly off and simulate a wild bird. And so, you know, I say that because so many people go out there and it's like, I spent $5 on this quail or $10 on a chucker. I need to get a shot on this. And you need to keep what the goal in mind is, and that's steady to flush. And like you said you need to make sure that it can get away from the dog so the dog can learn the lesson that if it didn't act right, it doesn't get the bird or else it can't self-teach itself. That's right. Yeah. And you're right, though. People get in a hurry and they want to, you know, they they want to, they, they kind of sometimes use a training night as a game farm. You know, let's go shoot some birds. That's exactly <laughs> yep. what I was thinking of, Pete, is a lot of people are like, we're, we're going hunting, you know. Yep. You're not. You're going to train your dog. You're using pen raised birds. It's going to look very similar to what a shooting preserve does. You know the whole situation, uh, but but the purpose is different, and that's exactly how Nick is summing it up. You know the purpose. Uh, I believe is one of the most important things you can can recognize in life. Um, I wanted to clarify. You, you were talking about the the timing of when to launch the bird, and I think I understand uh, what you're getting at. You know, like I mean, I. I've had two bird dogs, right? So I'll reference mine. Like the dog that I have now will kind of, that tail starts whipping, 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 and he still might be moving his feet a little bit. And then he sticks it and it's like everything freezes all at once. Um, so if someone wasn't reading that and didn't know that they could launch the bird without giving the dog an opportunity to stick the point. Is that what you're talking about with the timing? It is. And it's hard to know. Every dog's different, but I would say err on the side of caution because what you don't, you don't want the dog getting on top of the trap. Yep. Right. You know, so if, if, if you think he's riding in on it, you got to launch it, whether, you know, not give him in. And maybe you might have screwed up that opportunity for him to stick it. But that's the whole point of this thing is to get these dogs to be more cautious and launching them early is never bad. Yep. Um, yeah. Launch it too late and you're popping it in their face. You might scare them. You might yeah. hit them with the launcher. Yeah. 
and and that this method too, you know, it's not really what we're talking about now, but we see it a lot. You get some of these dogs that just it take longer puppies. I should I should mention your natural ability dogs where they're just not pointing. They're getting out in the field. They're finding birds like crazy, but they're riding right in and taking them out. Um, this pigeon and launcher method is also a way to start helping the dog understand that they've got to point these birds. A little bit different process, or I mean, same process, but a different reason for doing it than what we're trying to talk about tonight with the steady to flush stuff. But mm-hmm. that's another thing that we I tried to keep an eye on with dogs at our chapter and our clinics and stuff. If we were getting dogs out that just weren't pointing, I'm like, hey, we got to back off this planted bird thing. Hey, we we got to we got to make sure your dog gets some, figures out this pointing thing first. Well, and, and I got sometimes gotta- it was just. A, I got to pull that thread a little bit because, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had Mark Whalen on and he mentioned, you know, using a lot of birds. Uh, he, he advised getting, getting the dog a lot of bird contacts. Um, but what we didn't get to address there was exactly what you're talking about now. And I watched Mark one day with his, uh, dog that he was prepping for an NA test go from launcher to launcher back to the first launcher. And just, I mean, I don't know how much money we watch fly away, but you know, if the dog <laughs> was charging in, the bird got launched and he aired on the side of caution. I mean, it only took, you know, five or six birds all at once. And that dog was locking up on point where, you know, if you string it out over the course of three training days and use five or six birds, you don't get the same results. Um, so, yeah. And, and I know Mark wrote a really good article for the VSU magazine a couple of years ago about bird management and managing your birds. And there's a time to pour it on, and then there's a time to not. And you right. to, to know which we, which is which is the the part that's hard. Um, but what some of these puppies, what we figured out, we didn't. Some of them we didn't have to go all the way to the lots of pigeons and launches. We just figured out if we were smarter about how we planted birds. Yep. Um, a lot of some of these dogs that are real strong tracking dogs. I'm not going to say breed specific, but. Uh, Dogs that hunt with their nose to the ground more than their nose in the air, um, they tend to, some of them dogs, especially if they're fat, if they work really fast and hard, they, as soon as they make scent, they're, they're riding in so hard, they never really give them sense of chance to point, and they don't have their nose up in the scent cone, and they just kind of end up right in on top of the bird. Um, and sometimes it's following our tracks into that situation. Yep. So, I mean, and so some of these dogs, we just figured out, if we're more careful about how we plant birds, being cautious of the wind, not using a dirty field. That's some some of them. That's all it took to make sure that they had that that pointing instinct in them. And then we could maybe, you know, back off to do some pigeon work and staunch, make them a little bit more staunch on stuff like that. Um, some dogs are just some dogs though just never get it until you start popping them them pigeons for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, real quick well, on, on a side question on that, and you, we don't have to elaborate too much, but. You get you say you get somebody out there with a young pup first bird exposure and they want to use a launcher. Do you typically advise people not to start with a launcher? That no, never. On? No, exactly. okay. absolutely not. Uh, I was just, I, I wanted to what, clarify that. I want to see what the dog does at least on the first bird or two. And if the dog catches the bird, it ain't the end of the world, people. Yep. It's you know everybody's so scared of it, and I think that's why people <laughs> want to go right to that launcher. Yep. Um, uh, so, you know. Getting the dog excited about birds is part of the game, and and they're going to catch a few, especially at the beginning. That's that's okay. It's not it's not like you can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. It's it's going to be okay. Exactly. So so we covered the two out of the four ways that we develop cooperation in these dogs. You know, the first one was the dog is born with it, and the second one the dog learns by itself. Uh, where does woe fall into this? Is that the next one? 
Yeah, so if, uh, you know, for dogs that don't have that level of cooperation, so now, if, you know, if you think back to that utility scorecard, well, maybe this dog, we're going to have to do more obedience on it to get it to be steady to flush. And that's where wool training comes in. Um, and good wool training, uh, and, and away from birds. Uh, I think a lot of people get too, you know, they try to teach this whole steadiness thing from beginning to end. They let the dog go on point. They try to walk in on the dog. They got a check cord on it, or they got their finger on the e-collar button, and they're trying to trying to get this thing to be steady to flush. They're going to shoot the bird, hold on to that dog all the way through the fall, and then no matter what the dog does, they let it go have the retrieve, and the dog learned absolutely nothing. Yep. And, and also had a ton of pressure put in a, on it when it was on point and had scent in its nose, hmm. which is start, which is my personal theory is what causes flagging. Yep. and man-made pointing problems. So when I talk about good wool training, the dog needs to know what wool means, but that has nothing to do with a bird. Right. So a really good foundation of wool training away from birds, just yard work and wool. You can use a table, you can use play sports. There's a million different ways to get there, but that dog needs to know what wool means. I mean, I can't believe how many times we, we see puppies and first-time handlers and the dog goes on point and they say, whoa, whoa, Nelly, whoa, you know, biscuit mm-hmm. or whatever the dog's name is like. Dog's probably never heard whoa in its life before. <laughs> but they're yeah. just instantly telling it to whoa. Well, what, do you, do you think, what are the odds that that dog's going to stop, you know, yeah. none? So, Pete, I'll, so, I'll tell on myself real quick. I, I know everyone likes hearing our uh, <laughs> humility and honesty. So I've been preaching the same thing now that I've – you know, talk to, to people like you and have gained a little bit more experience. Uh, you know, and now I'm making fun of people for, I'm like, why are you telling your dog? Whoa, it doesn't even know what it means. Like eventually they'll <laughs> catch on to so, it. Well, at the time I look back, uh, it's been a few months ago of a video of my dog when it was a puppy, you know, 12 weeks old, probably. And I, I had some quail out for it and it went on point and I heard myself going, whoa and i'm like oh man you're you did it too my my theory at the time was i'm gonna kind of plant this seed and i'm gonna start letting the dog know now early what whoa means but i agree with you 100 percent. now i felt i felt stupid seeing myself do that <laughs> in the video um yeah. but it makes yeah. sense you know the way you're breaking it down so what what i did and what i kind of discovered this a couple of years ago um what what we do when we're teaching steadiness, not just steady to flush, but the other stuff too, is we don't have a, we just get the dog out in the field and we put them on wool. And then we try to recreate the bird flushing situation. We'll walk in front of the dog with, uh, you know, the, the handler, a couple gunners. We'll kick at the grass. You know, if the dog moves at all, you know, we correct it. You know, move, you know, if you're in, if you're one of those people who believes in picking the dog up off the ground and setting him back where he was, you know, we do that with some dogs if that's what people want to do. Um, just, and then the dog never gets rewarded with a retrieve of anything, even a bump or anything, unless it's perfectly stable and still. And you can keep overlaying the wool. I like overlaying a long whistle with wool. Um, sometimes at this point we're doing lots of gunfire and we're overlaying that, that gunfire also means wool. And we don't have any birds. We're just out there in the field simulating this flushing bird situation and, and, and getting the dog to see this sight picture of a handler moving in front of them, a couple gunners moving in front of them, and all these distractions that can happen on the flush of a bird, whether it's in a test day or even in the real world, you know. 
Um, how many times on a test do you, you go up to try to find the bird and it ain't there, and it takes the handler, you know, 30, 45 seconds or a minute of walking around in front of the dog to try to even locate the bird. Yeah. The dog has to start to understand all that, that these are, this is a situation that it just has to sit there and watch it let happen. Yep. And we do all that without even a bird. We just get the dog used to that whole sight picture and all that activity. Um, and But if you back up to the steady to flush part, you can get a dog on wool like that, and then, and the dog's not on point, but you can have a clip wing pigeon or something in your bag. And once the dog starts really getting this, you can, what I do is, you know, obviously I'm, I'll move up, upwind of the dog so the wind is blowing back at the dog. I'll just pull out, a, pull a couple feathers off that bird out of the, out of a bird bag and then let it kind of drift back at the dog and just have a, a little bit of a whiff of, you know, bird. Oh, there's something going on here, you know, but not the full, you know, bird on point, all that scent in his nose, just a little taste of it, you know, and then if, and then if he gets too excited and he moves, you know, we set him back, set him back, and then we may throw a bumper for him as a reward, you know, early on, you know, Um, and then, and then we're not too worried about the retrieve at this point, it's just more of a reward for the dog, and then once the dog starts understanding all that, then we'll start throwing a clip wing pigeon around for him, and he, and, and then, and, and then, but we won't, you know, hopefully he's good enough on wool then that he won't break until we, you know, release him for the retrieve. But if he does, it's not the end of the world because our whole point here is just to teach the dog to be to be far enough along in steadiness so that we can at least walk in front of him. And I did this method with, at some clinics this summer with some first-time handlers, some young dogs, and these were dogs that were either passed their NA test or weren't NA testing. They are just trying to get them ready for hunting season. And with about three 20-minute sessions throughout the course of the day, we had a dog that was going on point and taking out birds and then by the end of the day when we let them go on point on a planted pigeon they let us walk in front of it so we could shoot it mm. that's impressive just so- with just, you know not every dog but there were a few that got it that fast you know right right and and it, and, and it and we never let it it wasn't like we, we were planning a ton of birds for it letting it point birds you know and hammering on with check cords and e-collars we were teaching them that if you if you whoa good things will happen exactly and 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 so really what what you're describing is is just you you build an actual solid foundation with woe and then essentially you're kind of overlaying that with different levels of bird exposure just enough scent to tease them and then a little bit more and then a little bit more and you're and you're building that foundation over and over and over again but all the while you're being very consistent with the outcome if you do this then you don't get to do that and to your point, like, I don't think people realize just how valuable refusals of retrieves are. When you have a, a, a dog that really wants that bird and they mess up and you give that retrieve to them anyway, then that's, you know, that's telling a toddler who's crying and acting a fool in the, in the grocery store because it wants some candy, giving the candy to it anyway, just to tell it to shut up. It's never going to learn to be you know act right and and that's really what you're doing with these dogs in the field is you are going to perform the woe that we have built and then you get the reward of the bird later yeah especially if you got a high prey drive dog or a dog that just loves 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 to retrieve birds um that's the only way you can do it or you're never going to get anywhere my opinion well it makes a lot of sense Um, too to uh you know nick and i talk about baby steps all the time and a lot of people do a lot of woe training in the yard. And then when they come out to a training day or go to the field where they're going to use birds, they go straight to that 
step and you're actually, you know, I try to make as many steps as I can with dog training. So by going out and being in the field where the dog is used to seeing birds and just being placed on a woe in that environment, in my mind, that is another step. And I, I really like that part of it. Well, and again, if you get back to what we talked about, the, uh, the pointing and uh, intensity, if you do it this way, you're not putting any dog, any pressure on the dog when the dog's on point and has a, has a nose full of bird scent. So you're not messing up his point. This mm-hmm. is all pure yep. obedience work. You know, um, now to me, a dog has to earn the right to get a, a chucker planted for it. It's got to demonstrate this whole scenario we just talked about over and over five, six times in a row where we can start tossing around clip wing pigeons, shooting guns in the air. I use clip wing pigeons too. And then we just shoot blanks in the air and we don't have to worry about hitting these damn birds. <laughs> and then it also, it, it also teaches the dog, uh, how to, and how to handle and retrieve live birds. And if you got a soft mouth dog, you can use them over and over. Yeah. Um, uh, not some dogs. It doesn't work out that way. They're dead when they come back. But that's that's part. That's that's just a dog thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, but because and, and the reason I do that too is on test day. You know, our gunners aren't our gunners are good, but I every utility test I've judged yet or been a part of, or and my dogs have run in. There, there's been dog there. There's been birds that aren't dead dead when they hit the ground, and the dog has to be able to handle a live bird running around, figure it out, get it in its mouth, and bring it back without dropping it. Nice. Yeah, so, that's a, that's a I, good point. You're you're getting a side effect while also working on on the woe and the foundation and everything. So you you get to really kind of plant that seed for handling live birds as well. That's a good good uh, yeah. pickup right there. And that's and that's probably a better topic when we start talking about the more advanced steady and stuff, the steady to wing shot and fall. Yep. Um, for this steady to flush stuff with young dogs, just trying to get them to understand this teamwork thing. Let me get in front of the dogs so we can go hunting together. I don't worry too much about retrieving at that point with that dog, right. you know, unless the dog's been force fetched and stuff. But when you start working on the advanced steadiness stuff, I demand the dog. I tell all these handlers, your dog, ha- your the retrieving of that dog has to be to your level of expectation. Now, if your if if your level of expectation is, hey, if it finds it and lays on it, so I can find it, I'm good with that. Okay, well then that's your level of, of retrieving expectation. <laughs> if you want a prize one utility dog then your dog needs to be retrieving the hand with a minimal of commands before we work on steadiness. And the reason is this. When we work on steadiness, we're working on steadiness. And if we're going to correct the dog and hammer on the dog for breaking or doing anything on steadiness, I want the dog to make sure it knows why it was corrected. And it was because you broke. It was a steadiness issue. There, so we don't do any retreat corrections on retrieving when we're training steadiness. Okay. <clears throat> that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, out of all this... You know, I'm wondering, and there's a few people that are listening to this, they're wanting to get their dog steady to flush and go go hunting, but they haven't heard anything about a check cord yet. Where does that fall into place? Because there's some diehards out there that live or die by the check cord. Well, yeah, and and I, I've used them on early on in my process, but the more I learned and the more really successful nav the people I hang around with, the more I'm a believer in not using them. Um. A thing we should probably touch on a little bit too. We probably should have done earlier. Is you have, if you understand the difference between pointing and steadiness, and when pointing ends and when the transition into steadiness begins, I think you can better understand the whole check cord thing. So, 
if you nav the principles state that pointing is over with when the dog is aware of the presence of the handler or in a testing environment may be aware of any part of the of the team you know a gunner a judge or whatever but usually the handler and and what does that mean when is a dog aware of the handler it's not always just be when the dog as the handler is approaching and, and actually crossing that vertical line to get in front of the dog um you know it's one of the, some of the more interesting judging discussions i've had especially at the utility level when we're talking about pointing and intensity and pointing is when was that dog aware we were there and so when was pointing over with, and then and when it, now are we judging steady to flush? Um, some of these dogs, especially that have had a lot of planted birds put down for them, they, if they're out there at 100, 150 yards, and they come on point, but they're facing us, and we're walking toward them at 100 yards, you can make the argument that, and a lot of judges do, that they already know we're coming. Pointing's over. Yeah. And so that 100-yard walk, that you're making to get to the dog, that's all being judged under steady to flush and nothing under pointing. Interesting. So, so if you believe that pointing, and so if you, if you, if you go down that road, pointing doesn't really last very long, especially if you're, if you're in a hunting situation and if you're, say you're grouse hunting and you got a dog that's working at a reasonable range, um, at 30, 40 yards or whatever the cover might, you know, dictate for a dog to be in connection with you as a cooperative dog. And, that dog goes on point, and you're right there. I mean, pointing's kind of over with in a matter of one Mississippi, two Mississippi, maybe. You know, and now you're yeah. now you're already into a steady to flush thing. So the whole check cord thing, I think, was when for people that don't understand that that they they think my my dog's not letting me get in front of him. He's not, he's got a pointing problem, so I need to put a check cord on him to stop him so I can get in front of him. Well, your dog doesn't have a pointing problem. He probably has a steady to flush problem, which is a little bit of cooperation and a little bit of obedience combined there. But the reason I don't like check cords is I consider it pressure. And when your dog is on point with birds in his nose and you put pressure on them, it's what affects their point. So the, the, more you, the more of this obedience work and this steadiness work and wool training you can do away from birds, that way if you want to stop your dog when he's on point, if he needs it, you can wool him. Yeah, and, and the dog didn't have a, a pointing problem. It was a, a steadiness and cooperation issue. But then you put a check cord on them, and you and you start applying that pressure, however light it may be. And I think you actually create pointing problems pretty quickly. That's right. I'm a believer in that too, and that's why the pigeons and launchers are the are the replacement for the the check cord. That's the solution. Let the let the bird teach teach the dog it kind of comes full circle back to that um and uh, you know yeah, just to or, hit it again or, we're and, we're using yeah, and the, or really good woe training yeah know? good woe training and um using the bird to teach the dog and when we use launchers we're we're trying to recreate a wild bird scenario that's exactly what it's about is again we, we've already said it we're trying to simulate the wild birds which is the best tool like we talked about but if you don't have wild birds that your your job with pen raised birds is to simulate the most most wild bird like scenario that you can. And I'm sorry, you can't get that with a check cord dragging around the dog or you holding onto the check cord the entire time around a bird. The launchers, you know, people will argue, well, there's no launchers in the woods. But like you're like you said earlier, the main thing is the timing. If you time it correct, 
then the dog shouldn't come near or on top of the launcher. So all it sees is the bird flushing away when it doesn't act right and it doesn't come into contact with the launcher. But if you have a check cord, it's in contact with the check cord the entire time it's in the field. Yeah, and another reason I don't like them is um, is any kind of pressure in a check cord is one of them, especially on these young dogs. It can it can start affecting their search. Um, yep. So you start put, you start putting pressure on these dogs around birds, uh, and I hate e collars around young dogs and burn introduction too. And 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 we see it a lot at natural test. I can't tell you. I mean, you just know that there was training issues going on with some of these dogs, why they're not searching and why they're they're backing away from birds and stuff. And it's, it's a horrible thing to see for a natural ability dog because you just know that people got way ahead of themselves on the training part of it. Um, but yeah, you, you got to mean that dog has to be search, I mean, without a search, you're not going to find birds. And so working too much on the obedience and the pressure is not only it's going to affect the dog's point, but it could affect its search too. So Pete, we kind of hit on the, the pointing thing, steady to flush. And I felt like we were getting into the, Steady to wing shot and fall phase. Is that about right? Yeah, that is. I mean, we kind of, we, we didn't really get to my number four method of how you get to steady. <laughs> okay. Flush, but we kind of, we, we kind of touched on it. Yeah. When we were just, we were just talking about check. Go into it now. If yeah, it, hit it up. If there's yeah, something so, else to throw out there. So just to back up, you know, the my first kind of way is obviously you get lucky if a dog is born steady to flush. Two, the dog learns on his own that through teamwork and, and self-taught cooperation that he'll let the handler get in front of the dog. Um, the third way we touched on is if for dogs that don't quite have those natural abilities, you, you, we need to do some really good wool training. And the fourth method is, is the worst one, in my opinion. It's the one that most people do is put a lot of pen-raised birds down for the dog, let it go on point, and try to intimidate, influence the dog with a lot of commands, verbal posturing, check cords, e-collar, and hope for the best. Mm. All obedience, no cooperation on the part of the dog. And that's why, that's why I think it's the worst method. Yeah, so um, it is a method, and, and, and but it's not great. It's a method, and it's a, it's one a lot of people use because it's intuitively what they think that the dog should be able to do from beginning to end. Um, but it's it creates a lot of the problems that we just talked about. I think I think that problem stems probably from you know watching YouTube videos, reading books, and and this woe command is such a big deal. I mean, if you watch a YouTube video. Dog goes on point, handler saying whoa, and ironically the dog moves and the handler just says whoa again and it's this back and forth thing and whoa doesn't mean anything. But for someone just starting out that doesn't understand everything you're talking about, they just go, Oh, when my dog goes on point, I need to start telling it to whoa. And and apply more pressure as the dog uh doesn't stop, you know. So it it's a method, but it's it's not effective. I agree. Yeah, and the other thing, it, what what is really good wool training? If you want to, you know, we talk about retrieving and proofing a dog on retrieving. You know, when is it truly force fetch? Can you prove it? Blah blah blah. Proofing wool training is this: if if you throw a throw a pigeon in that dog's face, or if it breaks on a pointed bird on a flush bird, can you stop it with a verbal wool command? Every time. If you can, you've got a wool broke dog. And the other thing that's important, I mean, it's obviously important from a safety standpoint if you're hunting, if a dog breaks on a bird, if you can woe it before you take that shot, obviously it's going to be a lot safer for the dog. From a nab to testing standpoint, if you've got a dog that you can stop with a woe command, you may not get the highest score, 
but you're still going to get a good score and you can get your way through the test with a, with a good wool command. Yep. And, and I, I think everything that you just covered is, is very valuable stuff because especially as first time owners, you know, we hear it a lot when they come it's, it's like, all right, my dog's pointing, but how do I get them to extend it to where I can flush the bird? And really that, that stems from that is when you can go hunting with your dog because we kind of touched on it at the start of this. If your dog doesn't let you get involved in the equation and you go hunting with it and you you keep shooting the birds, even though they're not letting you get involved in the equation and you're shooting birds that are kicked up too early or whatever, it is going to be very hard to put that steadiness steering wheel on that dog later on because you're just, you're really solidifying that behavior by the dog breaking and not cooperating with you as it should. And I would also argue that you're going to lose a lot more crippled birds because you're taking shots that you shouldn't be taking. True. That's a very good point. I didn't even consider that one. I, I really enjoyed this. It was, a, it was a very good topic to touch on. Is there anything else that, that we need to throw out there or uh, that we didn't touch on that you wanted to? Well, I think just, just the last thing is um, just for a lot of people, just focus on this, steady to flush. Everybody gets too focused on the, the whole steadiness sequence, the, the wing shot fall to release for retrieve and all that stuff. For a young dog, especially in its first hunting season, work on this. Yeah. Have fun. Um, I know some of the better pro trainers and stuff I know, they, they don't even worry about steady to wing shot and fall until after the bird's first hunting season and has had a lot of wild bird contacts and a lot of fun, and then you can start reining it in a little bit. Yep. And I think that's, that's, that's the safe way to do it. Exactly. And this is a great time for a lot of people out there with their first dog and heading into the woods for the first time. Don't worry about doing it all the way steady to release. Just Just go out there, work on steady to and that's all you need to actually hunt and hunt effectively and and build the foundation that you need to to extend that steadiness next year for 90 percent of people if they got a pointing dog that'll go on point let them walk in front of it so they can shoot it and it'll go out and at least find a dead bird and lay on it so they can find it there that's that's probably what 90 percent of the people in north american hunting want and are happy with exactly and, and that's not that hard and it's not that hard to get there if you're just careful and cautious about it absolutely pete i've enjoyed it thanks for coming on it's uh good catching up with you again all right thanks guys have a good season yep appreciate it you too be safe and have fun okay talk to you thank you for listening to gdiy if you enjoy this podcast please remember to take a moment to rate review and share with a friend also be sure to follow us on facebook and instagram under gundog yourself If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukonuba pro performance 
Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.